what do you think? Um, it feels different, I suppose. It's a bit hard to explain, but when you try and keep the water level there, you have to use your core more and sort of lift your head up a bit, so it takes a bit more energy, but it feels a lot stronger when you swim that way as opposed to... I'll underwear that. Yep. At the pool, while the little kids are splashing and squealing in the shallows, over in the fast lane, swim coach Ferry is giving 15-year-old James a lesson using the principles of the Alexander technique. So that is very challenging for him uh, because he's not focusing on the end gaining, he's focusing on his drill and how he can roll his head as smoothly as possible without lifting his head above the water. So you mentioned not focusing on the end game. Yes, end game as in trying to get to one end as soon as possible, but the process of getting to one end. Amanda Smith with you, and in the body sphere, what is the Alexander Technique and who's it for? Well, all sorts of movers and shakers use it, lots of musicians and performers, but swimmers as well, and other sports people. I've known of golfers and equestrian competitors, plus a whole range of even more unexpected people and activities. Oh, knitting, people wanting help with their knitting. I teach at a convent. The sisters want help with how they look after themselves, both serving dinner and kneeling to pray and bowing. So I can remember uh, working once with some belly dancers and how they were belly dancing, which was lots of fun, and then with a lady who was a funeral director and was having problems carrying coffins downstairs and, you know, have to reach down really low and they've got high heels on and things like that. So... Lots and lots of people do Alexander Technique. And now you go again. Don't fall backwards, don't go forwards. That's it, you're going up in between. That's it. We're having a little summer three-day string course based on Alexander Technique, but also performing. But it's learning about Alexander Technique and applying it to string performance. Keeping going up, that's it. That's it. And then keep it going, releasing that's better and don't tighten as you shift that's it this is the School for Alexander Studies in Melbourne. Robert Schubert teaches here. He's also a musician, plays the clarinet and teaches at the Melbourne Conservatorium now we're leaving the musicians though for a quieter room because I've come to Robert for an introductory lesson in the Alexander Technique so Robert, what happens? Uh, generally we start by just having a look at your general pattern of use, that basically how you use yourself in everyday activities. And one of the most prevalent of everyday activities is standing and sitting. You know, if there's some inherent issue with how you do that, if you're hurting yourself in some even minimal way, in that activity, if you do that a lot every day for years and years and years, you could end up in trouble. So Alexander is really, at its best, a preventative technique. It'll help you prevent things because we're weeding out poor use habits. I bet most people come to you, though, after something's gone wrong. 
usually. In fact, <laughs> traditionally, Alexander Technique is almost the last resort. They'll go through the whole gamut of medical interventions and end up at Alexander almost as a, you know, a last gasp effort, and very often it's very, very helpful. Fortunately, in the last couple of years, a number of very good studies have been published in reputable magazines, you know, journals, and people are now seeking out Alexander Technique. I've had neurosurgeons refer people to me because, you know, thanks to those studies, the medical profession is now taking Alexander a little more seriously, which is really good. All right, so let's start. What, what, what shall I do? Well, why don't you um, just stand in front of the chair and have a seat. Just sit down. Just sit down, yep. Great. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yes, OK, now stand up again for me. Okay. How, how was that for you? Um, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. that's exactly right. You don't know. It's one of those things that we do, you know, a hundred times a day, and we have got no awareness of what we're doing when we're doing it. So there are a couple of things that you're doing when you're standing and sitting. The main problem, Alexander called these problems misuses of our cells, and the main one is you tend to tighten your neck, and there's a corresponding tightening in your back. And a lot of this back tightening goes on for years and years and years, and then people get a sore back and they don't know why. So let's um, have a seat again. And just before you do that, I'll just put my hand here at the back of your neck. That feels quite nice. Yeah. <laughs> Alexander usually does feel quite nice. Okay. And, and just have a seat again. Oh, God, you're holding my head up. Oh, I can't okay, sit down. Can stand up again. <laughs> so uh, you'll notice that the first thing you do when you go to sit down is that pressure of your head increases significantly on my fingers, doesn't it? Yeah. Basically, that's a little bit of evidence that you're pushing your head back down onto my fingers. And you're doing that quite a lot. And when you do that, there's a corresponding tightening in the back as well. So the whole muscular system from the back up through the back of the head tightens. You actually don't need to do that to sit down. That's just a habit you've developed. So give yourself the instruction, I'm going to let my neck release. It's just a thought that you're allowing to percolate in your mind. You're letting your neck release. Okay, and now we'll just bend the knees and the hips and let the neck release and let the neck release. That's lovely. So you thought about freeing your neck as you moved. That was terrific. <laughs> Much less tightness through your, your head, neck and back. And that's what we're after. Progress. Exciting. This is The Body Sphere on RN, on air and online, trying to get a handle on the theory and system of body awareness known as the Alexander Technique. So now, where does it come from? Well, Frederick Matthias Alexander was born in Wynyard in Tasmania in 1869. But how and why did he come to invent this technique? Well, from a very young age, his ambition was to be an actor. Rosalind McLeod is another Alexander instructor. She's based in Adelaide and she's produced a documentary about FM Alexander. And when he was about 19, he'd saved up enough money from various jobs in Tasmania to get himself across to Melbourne. This was the 1890s and this was the time at the beginning of the 1890s of marvellous Melbourne and all that gold could buy and there mm. were so many theatres he felt that this was going to be the start of his acting career. And he did quite well for a while and he took voice lessons and had money from various jobs. But then he started to develop these voice problems. 
during his stage work, the voice would become very hoarse and also the breathing very noisy. He tried various medical cures at the time and nothing helped. And of course, no one wants to engage an actor who becomes known as someone who's going to break down. So it almost looked like the end of a career. Before it had really even got going. Yes, but one thing puzzled Alexander. When he spoke to his friends, as in a normal room, he didn't get the voice problems. But up on stage he did. So he knew he didn't have a structural fault in the throat and everything that, that would always mean he couldn't ever speak well. So because no one could help him, he decided to try and find out for himself And what he did was to get mirrors, not only front-on, but side-on mirrors for observation. And he spoke as though talking to friends and watched closely. Then he spoke as though he was on stage, and he alternated these two activities. After a while, he noticed that when he thought of reciting as though on stage, he was making alterations to the whole body musculature. Not only how the head balanced on top of the spine, but also even tightening his legs and doing a whole lot of extra tensions that, of course, would interfere with breathing and voice performance. I think a lot of people will relate to that, Rosalind, because you know the thing of being able to perform a particular physical skill. I mean, for Alexander, it was using his voice, reciting. For others of us, it might be kicking a football or um, shooting hoops or or whatever. It's, it's that physical skill that you seem to be able to do in practice, but you can't do in performance. That was Alexander's problem, wasn't it? Well, it wasn't so much the tension of being on stage. It was what he was doing with the head and neck particularly. And often when people have to get up in public speaking, they will think of projection And if you watch from side on, quite often people's chins will lift up a little bit. And there's this idea of reaching to the back row of the audience. And in doing that, you actually pull the head slightly back and down onto the spine. It's almost a mini whiplash. And if this happens, then that tightens the throat area and also interferes with the breathing. So when Alexander noticed that he was doing this, even just at the thought of reciting, before the words came out, he decided he would then change his habit patterns. So now he was using his own body and its particular problems to uh, develop his theories and ideas. How did he then apply this to other people and not just for vocal problems but for a whole range of... um, body issues? Well, initially, Alexander thought, oh, it's just me with these problems and I don't know how to manage my head and spine relationship. And it's not posture. It's this dynamic, constantly changing relationship of the head to the spine. But when he started to look around at his other fellow human beings, he noticed that a lot of them were also developing quite tight, stiff necks too. And so once he'd solved his own problems and developed this fine voice resonance, public speaking then, of course, in the 1890s, no microphones. And if you were a lawyer, a politician, a clergyman, 
they all took elocution lessons. So because people knew Alexander had improved so much, they came to him for lessons. And that was the big challenge for him, to explain to other people how they could change their harmful habits. And he essentially then made this his life's work, didn't he? The teaching really took over from the acting. Yes, and it wasn't only then the voice problems. Doctors were sending patients with other muscular problems. And by 1904, the leading doctors in Melbourne and Sydney were saying to Alexander, he was then 35 years of age, you should go to London. That's what he did. He worked for 50 years in England and America and never came back here. And actually lots of people now around the world who know something of the Alexander Technique don't know that its creator was an Australian. In the UK and the USA, FM Alexander wrote books and trained others to teach his technique through until his death in 1955, and so it spread around the world. Lucia Walker is an Alexander teacher based in South Africa. Her parents were also Alexander teachers and they were trained by the man himself. Lucia, what's your take on what the Alexander technique is about? For me, it's being able to do things better and more according to how we're designed. Why do you think that many of us are kind of locked into poor physical habits? Hmm. It's a good question, and Alexander talked about it being how we respond to stimuli and the stimuli of life. I always say that, for me, it's actually in the activities that make us human that are most important, from communication, emotional expression, creative expression, um, use of the hands and tool use, it's in those things that are so precious to us that the most interference and bad habits, if you like, habits that don't serve us, arise. Another aspect of that is being upright, bipedal, which we take for granted and it's very useful as a way of moving around. Um, I suppose at a design level, that's quite challenging. There's a heavy head at the top of a very flexible and mobile skeleton organization. And it seems that if we don't learn to pay attention and to be able to direct ourselves towards our intentions, that that gets out of balance very easily. It's also about our big heads on, on little right. necks. That's right. Now, presumably, the older you get, Lucia, the longer you have developed habits in the way you hold yourself and move and the more entrenched and harder they might be to change, I imagine. Is there any point to learning Alexander Technique later in life? Yes, definitely. You're right. Habits do get ingrained at a kind of tissue level and then there are the changes and demands of getting older Um it is a great support, the technique, to those demands and changes because I think one of the things that learning to pay more attention to how you're doing what you're doing and 
having the opportunity to actually make choices about how you do it means it's much easier to deal with some of the slightly surprising and irritating aspects of getting older. Well, now, your own story is interesting because uh, you were born into this, really, weren't you? Unlike just about anyone else. I was. um, My parents had trained in the 40s with Alexander in London and then went to South Africa and I was born there. And I really hated it as a child when people asked me what my parents did because in the 60s it was quite unusual, a little bit way out, and I didn't have a way to explain it. So so I sort of shrank when people said, what do your parents do? (laughs) Did your mum and dad have any stories of, of Frederick Alexander? They had many stories of him, actually. They were absolutely devoted to him. Of course, all a lot of their friends were Alexander teachers, so there was a first generation of Alexander teachers where I must say they they were trying very hard to continue the work, so there was a, a slight inflexibility about how they were passing it on and a lot of talk about what Alexander would or wouldn't have said. But I also really enjoyed, my mother went on to teach, live and teach till aged 99 and she was teaching until two weeks before she died Wow! and at one point so there's a a pretty good advertisement it was a very good advertisement and she was the last surviving teacher who had been fully trained by Alexander so people were often asking her what would Alexander think of what has happened to the technique today And I remember her pausing and going, I have no idea, which I really enjoyed because the truth was that, you know, it has developed and spread and I think has really found some some ways to bring his principles and methods of teaching, method of learning into the modern world, into the present day. And we'll talk more about some of the challenges of the modern world in a moment here in the body sphere. Lucia Walker is an Alexander instructor based in Johannesburg. Though she travels a lot to teach, I caught up with her while she was giving workshops at Sydney Alexander Technique. And picking up on what she started saying, that the Alexander Technique is about being able to do things better and more according to how we're designed, Rosalind McLeod has some more to say on this. In a sense, we're not trying to learn something new. Up until about five years of age, most children move pretty well. And when you see them running, there's such joy in their movements. And when you see them want to pick something up, they go into a wonderful squat position. But after about five years of age, there's many reasons why the the understanding of this head-spine relationship starts to deteriorate. When they first go to school, often the primary, the younger primary children are sitting cross-legged on the floor and they're looking up at the teacher sitting on the chair and if you look at the angle of their heads, their, head, their chins are tipping up and they're actually in a whiplash position. And 
right from the beginning they're starting to lose that head-spine relationship awareness. And one particular thing now is, of course, relating to equipment, particularly all the tablets and iPhones, iPods. Yes, well, um, there are huge stimulus for misuse. I mean, of the body? Of the body, yes. What happens when the, when the mobile phone rings? Well, first of all, we tighten our necks and scrunch our backs to get it out of your pocket. <laughs> and then when you're reading the phone, you drop from the base of your neck, oh, then like that, and you see people slumped over their phones and typing away, and they're very, very tight and slumped and contracted. So one of the things I like to do with my students is how to use your mobile phone. All right, so teach me how to use my mobile phone. Well, that's okay. Got my phone. <laughs> Just show me how you would how would use it. Now, the mobile phone is below your eye line, obviously, right? Most people have it in their laps. Do you notice where you're bending from to look at your phone? Lower part of the neck? Yes, it's right down at the base of your cervical spine here, down here. Now, do you know where your spine ends and your head begins? Where does your... The, the joint between the skull and the spine happened. It's a bit higher up, isn't it? It's a lot higher up. <laughs> if you draw a, a line just under the ear canal and in, in the middle of that line, that's about where it is. So you're actually not using the joint that's appropriate for this activity. You're using a joint way down here. And so you're I need to think that. that I'm sort of bending from the ears. Well, you need to rotate around there, around that point, yes. Yeah, so you feel like you're looking from higher up now? Yeah. Yeah. Right, okay. And how quickly can I, would that become habitual for me to do? Okay, that depends on how much you practice. It's, that's why I think musicians can really, you know, in my case I teach a lot of musicians, and performing artists really get this technique because they're so used to having to practice. So it's just, oh, okay, this is part of my practice now. It becomes part of their practice. The everyday person is not so used to that, so it, it can be a little more challenging and it starts out, it can feel a little laborious for some people. That's quite normal while your body recalibrates along the lines of an improved movement. The difficulty with the Alexander technique is not the technique itself, it's remembering to employ it. So, got to remember to use my phone not so scrunched over. What about, though, when you're using more gross motor skills? Everyone knows that when you exercise, you can get injured, yeah? But is it the exercise itself... Or the way that you're doing it. Kazimierz Krasovskis is another person who's trained in the Alexander technique. And Kaz, you also go to the gym four times a week yep. to work out. Love the gym, yep. How do the two fit together for you? Through doing Alexander Technique lessons, I've become aware of patterns of movement, of muscle recruitment and things like that that aren't so good for me. And when I go to the gym, it's just a question of applying that to the exercises that I do. So I've always managed to avoid injury. So to give you a a really concrete example, when I'm jogging, I know I can have a bit of a tendency to over-focus and to kind of tense my body in a way that doesn't help my running at all. Um, So my neck will pull down and my head will come towards my shoulders. And um, through knowing Alexander Technique, I can just stop doing that and move in a way which is more open and expansive. What about, say, with weights? Mm Uh, So, for example, if I'm doing shoulder exercises where I'm lifting the dumbbells in front of me, I know that I can 
arch my back unnecessarily, which isn't the uh, part of my body that I'm looking to exercise. So through knowing that that's my habit and telling myself not to do it and to do something else instead, I can do that exercise more efficiently. I guess for me, one of the things that Alexander Technique's done is taught me how to bring my brain as well as my body into the gym. You must see people all the time who are doing all sorts of things to themselves as they lift weights and so on that uh, is probably not helpful, if not potentially harmful. Yeah, definitely. Look, when I was first having Alexander Technique lessons, when I first went to the gym, I was kind of actually amazed at how much people misuse their bodies through stressing and straining and trying to lift weights, which are possibly too heavy for them. So, yeah, I guess I did have to bite my tongue when I was seeing that, but uh, now I guess I'm just kind of used to it. So how how should you think about how you go about exercising at the gym? I, I, I don't actually mean you, I mean mm. me or Just anyone. in general. Yeah. One of the main things is looking at what your neck, head and back are doing when you're doing any exercise. If they're all unnecessarily tensed up, the chances are the rest of your body isn't going to be working that efficiently. And sometimes you can just see that just by looking in the mirrors. I think sometimes people are so carried away with doing these exercises, with lifting these weights, they're not actually really engaged in the process of how they're doing that. So I think sometimes just by actually being a bit more in the moment, looking at what you're doing, thinking about what you're doing, you can do things better, more easily. Meanwhile, I'm back at the pool. How has your swimming improved with the way Ferry's been working with you? Before, I I didn't have much technique. Like, I was fairly quick through the water, though my technique was pretty poor, and I was sort of just slashing at the water, but my swimming has become a lot smoother, and I'm not using as much energy when I swim. Are you swimming faster? Massively. Very competitive. So <laughs> Good on you, Jane. Very competitive as well. So one of the sayings in the Alexander work is use, affects, function. And that's for every human being. How we use our bodies affects how it can function. It's never what we do, it is how we do it. Rosalind McLeod's documentary film is called Frederick Matthias, Alexander, His Life, His Legacy. There's a link for details on the Bodysphere website. You'll also find a link there to the Australian Society of Teachers of the Alexander Technique, should you want to know more. abc.net.au slash rn. Select the Bodysphere from the program list. You can leave a comment there too and you might want to subscribe to the podcast. That way each episode is delivered to you automatically. I'm Amanda Smith. It's the way that you do it. That's what gets results.